God is good. Amen? Amen. We're going to continue our series this morning on the church. We've been in this series now for several weeks, and we're looking at the great doctrines and teachings of the Bible on this issue of the church. It's important for us, as last year was sort of a strange year in many respects, uh, in our world and in our nation and even within the church. And so as we have, over the last several months, really began to regather. It's also time to refocus on what the Word of God teaches about how we should conduct ourselves within the local church. And so I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3 today. You remember when I started this series, I said that there were going to be some things in this series that were potentially offensive. Does anybody remember that? Well, welcome to Destiny Church this morning. This is that week, so you might leave here highly offended today. I don't know. It's not my aim to offend anyone, but it is my aim to declare the Word of God this morning. And it does have the potential from time to time to offend us and in our flesh until we can submit ourselves to God's authority by submitting ourselves to the Word of God. Uh, I do want to tell you that what we're going to talk about today is not in any respects an essential doctrine. It is not a primary issue. What we're talking about today is not the main thing. What I just talked to you about a few minutes ago, the work of Christ, his redemption on the cross, the good news, the gospel, that is the main thing. Amen? And that is what we declare here week after week at Destiny Church. However, there are some other things in the Bible that, that speak to especially how we gather as a church that are not the main thing. There are secondary issues, possibly even third-tier level issues. And even though they are secondary, they are still important. Just because it's not the most important thing doesn't mean that it's not important at all. No, actually what we're going to talk about today is an important issue. And I haven't preached on this topic in the seven years that I've been a pastor. And the reason why I didn't was because I wanted to make sure that I was confident in our position on this issue. And so over the last seven years of being the pastor, I have spent literally hundreds of hours studying out this issue, studying all different sides of the issue we're going to talk about today. And I am today very confident in what we're going to teach to you today that this is the accurate teaching of God's Word. Now, I've taught on these things in smaller settings, but never from the pulpit, and I wanted to make sure that we had it right, and I believe that we do. And we're going to talk to you, we're, we're going to look at today a, a, a topic that our culture has a lot of issues with. And that's the issue of authority. The issue of authority. The issue of leadership. The Bible says that authority is good. Now we live in a culture that rejects authority that overthrows authority, that uh, thinks it's a good thing to uh, disobey authority. In fact, last summer we saw many of the cities in our nation burn as a result of this belief that authority is bad. There are many today that are pushing a, an agenda to defund the police. We reject that wholeheartedly. We believe that authority is good because authority has been placed there by God. Now, our culture is moving in a different direction. Uh, certainly, authority can be used in a way that is wrong. And authoritarianism, that's bad. But just because someone abuses authority doesn't mean that the whole concept of authority should be thrown away. No, instead what you should do is remove those who abuse authority and place in positions of authority people who will use that God-given authority in a godly way. That's the teaching of Scripture. And so we're going to talk about authority today. We're going to talk about specifically authority and leadership 
within the church. Authority in the church, leadership within the church. Now again, this is a secondary issue. Uh, this is not something that I personally break fellowship over. There is lots of different perspectives out there on how a church should be structured, how a church should be led, the governance authority structure of a church. If you want to do more research on this on your own, this is what's called ecclesiastical polity. So if you want to go learn more about this, you can go read some books on ecclesiastical polity. Keep them by your bedside because they will help you if you struggle to sleep, okay? Now, I've purposefully punished myself uh, for hours and hours so that you don't have to do that. I share in wonderful Christian fellowship with people, even some of my best friends in the ministry, who do not see eye to eye with me on the issues that we're going to discuss today. Now, I love them. They're wonderful men of God. They're absolutely wrong. <laughs> I tell them that frequently, okay? And again, but it's not an issue that I break. This, what we're talking about today, the authority structure of a church is not something that I personally break fellowship over. This is an in-house debate. This is something we talk about within the family of God, within uh, the Christian family. So why is this important for you? Well, if you'll remember at the end of this series, I'm going to ask those who are members of the church to reaffirm your membership, to tell us that you want to stay a, a member of the church. For those of you who are not members of the church, you're going to have an opportunity at the end of this series to say, I'd like to become a member of a church. And it's important for us as a church body to know how we are governed, how we are structured. And so it's important for you to know that as well. Now, we have a lot of ground to cover today, and I'm not going to be able to address every issue and every question. I'm not going to be able to do that uh, in the time that we have today. And so if at the end of today's message, if you have questions in your mind, I'm here for you. The elders are here for you. We're here to serve you. We're here to teach you the word of God. If there's questions that you have that are unanswered, you can call the church office. You can set up an appointment. I would love to sit down with you, meet with you, open the Bible, answer any questions that you have. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, maybe you're more comfortable emailing. You can click on our website, send an email in, and I would be more than happy. I would be actually honored to be able to answer, to the best of my ability, any questions that you might have on this issue. Now, who leads the church? That's the question. And the first thing that you need to know this morning is that Christ is the head of the church. Jesus Christ, he is the chief shepherd. He is the senior leader of the church. Matthew 28, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. This includes the authority within the local church. Ephesians 5, uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 22, chapter 5, verse 23, both declare that Christ is now the head of the church. Matthew 16, Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail over it. So the issue of who leads the church truly is not in question. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He is the head. He is the leader. He is the one responsible now, the question arises then, Jesus is in heaven, and we are down here on earth. So how does Jesus from heaven rule over his church? How does he lead his church from heaven? And primarily, Jesus rules over his church today through his word. Jesus rules in his church through his word. His word is authoritative in our world and in the life of the church. Primarily, Jesus leads his church through the word of God, through his word. Jesus also leads his church through the Holy Spirit, through the moving of the Spirit of God. Now, what you need to know, and I'll say this again, I've said this many times, but it's worth repeating the Holy Spirit will never lead you in a way that is contrary to the Word of God. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. 
the, the persons of the Godhead are, are not in conflict. The Word become flesh and the Spirit of God, they're, they're not in conflict with one another. They're not up there debating one another. They're not up there having an arm wrestling match, okay? The, the, the Father, Son, and Spirit are, are totally in agreement in all things. And so the Holy Spirit will never, ever, ever lead you to do something that is contrary to the Word of God. And so if ever in your heart you say, well, I feel the Spirit's leading me to do this, and it's totally contrary to the clear teaching of the Word of God, you can rest assured that it is not the Holy Spirit that is leading you. It might be the pizza you ate last night, or the enchiladas, or... Another spirit, possibly. But you can rest assured that the Holy Spirit will not lead you contrary to the Word of God. They never contradict. So Christ rules over His church through His Word. We, as a church, submit ourselves to the Word of God. Over and above all things. God's Word, because Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth... If we are submitted to another authority that disagrees with or contradicts the authority of Christ, well, whose authority do we go with? Which way do we go? Well, we follow Christ. Amen. We, we live in a culture today, a country today, that is moving further and further away from the Word of God in, in almost every respect. You can see it so clearly over the last, especially, 80 years. Our culture that used to value God, the concept of God, used to value God's Word. Most homes in, in, in America used to have a Bible in their home. Whether or not they actually opened it is another thing, but at least there was this idea that the Bible was the Word of God. That, that concept is totally gone today in our culture and so as a culture moves further and further away from Christ and his authority, the church, a local church, has a decision to make. Do we stand with Christ and his word, or do we revise the word of God and move with the culture? And that, that's the great debate that is happening within congregations all over this country today, right now. In fact, every major denomination over the last 25 years has split over this issue. Over this issue, denominations have split. Lutherans have split into two camps. Those who are conservative theologically and believe the Bible is the Word of God and they're going to stand with the Word of God. And those who are liberal theologically. I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about theology. Those who deny the deity of Christ, uh, the resurrection, the miracles of Jesus, the, the uh, effic efficaciousness of the atonement. Uh, they deny the virgin birth. The, these people that are theologically liberal... They have split. So Lutherans have split. Methodists have split. Presbyterians have split. Episcopals have split. Every denomination, major denomination, except for the Southern Baptists, SBC, have split. And their day is coming because there are those who are pulling in that direction and those who are saying, no, we will stay and stand with the word of God. And can you guess what we're going to do at Destiny Church? We're staying with the word of God. It doesn't matter where our culture goes. Amen. There should be, as a culture becomes more and more godless and pagan, there should be more and more contrast between the church and the culture. That, that's why we did this banner this way. Because the church is to be light in the darkness. The world is full of darkness, and, and we, we are not called to live as children of darkness anymore. We've been called out of the world. So there should be distinctions. There's, there should be a separation. There, there should be uh, clear, def, defined lines between the world and the church. It shouldn't be foggy. It shouldn't be gray. And in fact, God's word is incredibly clear on certain issues, and especially on the issues we're going to talk about Today, And so this is why even though our culture and our country has even redefined its laws, 
you know, several years ago, our, our country, our Supreme Court, decided to redefine what marriage was. And we said, well, that, you can do that. Sure, but at Destiny Church, we're, we're not going to marry two men. We're not going to marry two women. Well, why? Because there is a court higher than the Supreme Court. There is a throne higher than the Oval Office. Amen. And God's word is clear, abundantly clear. And so we don't move with the culture. No, we stand and proclaim the word of God and we call the culture to repentance. Repentance of sin, which we all must do regularly. Amen. Wow. The clock lies. Every Sunday, the clock lies. When I uh, became the pastor, I, I asked uh, a mentor of mine, uh, Pastor Virgil Amundsen. Many of you know him. He, pastors in, uh, he pastored in uh, Shell Lake, Wisconsin. Pastored there faithfully, the same congregation, for 50 years. Wow, 50 years. And when I became pastor seven years ago, I, I asked him, what advice do you have for me? And he said, well, I think the best advice I could give you is to read the pastoral epistles. First Timothy, Second Timothy, Titus. Read these again and again and again and again. These were letters that were written by Paul to young pastors, teaching them how to operate, how they should shepherd, how the church should be organized, how the church should function, these pastoral epistles. And so I took that advice and I've done that and I've read them and they've become near and dear to my heart. We're going to look at what they say today about leadership within the church. 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15 it says this, I hope to come to you soon. This is Paul writing to Timothy, his son in the faith. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Paul here writes to Timothy and he says there is a certain way that one ought to behave in the church. There's a certain way to conduct ourselves as God's people within the church. There, there, it's not just a free-for-all. It's not just, well, I think we ought to do this and I think we ought to do that and, and whoever is able to get on some sort of committee and and vote their will and opinions into practice. No. Paul says, I'm writing to you so that you would know how one, may, how one ought to behave in the household of God. And so again, how does Christ rule his church? Through his word. So let's look at some passages from his word. Acts 14.23. Again, speaking on the issue of leadership. This is Paul and Barnabas. Uh, they're traveling around planting churches. And it says, after they had planted these churches, that they appointed elders for them in every church. With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so Paul and Barnabas, as they had the opportunity to do so, after they planted a church, before they moved on, to the next town, to the next city, they established and raised up leaders within the church called elders. They prayed over them, they blessed them, they committed them to the Lord, and they installed them as the leadership of these local churches. Paul writing to Titus, again, one of the pastoral epistles. Titus chapter 1, verse 5, he says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order... And appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And so as Paul had ministered there, uh, he wasn't able to stay long enough to see that accomplished. Long enough to see elders raised up. And so he left his apprentice, his young uh, uh, leader, Titus, there. For the sole purpose of raising up elders who could then lead 
and shepherd the church. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 6 tell us specifically uh, some interesting things about elders. This is a key passage on eldership. It says, Peter writing, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. This is an important passage on elders, as well as Acts chapter 20. We don't have time to turn there today, where Paul gives a charge to the Ephesian elders. But there's something important that I want you to see here in this passage. And this is that the role of the elder within the church, the local church, he is to shepherd the flock of God and exercise oversight. That word shepherd is the same Greek word that is also translated as pastor. The word shepherd and pastor is the same root Greek word, poimino. And so, and, and then additionally, he, he tells the elders to exercise oversight. That's the, the Greek word for overseer. That's episkopos, which is where the Episcopalians take their uh, name from. And that's the word overseer. That word is sometimes translated as bishop. And again, uh, the word elder is also uh, the Greek word presbyterios, This is where Presbyterians get the name for their church. But what I want you to see in this passage is that elder, pastor, bishop, overseer, these are not four different offices, but these are four different functions of the same office, the office of the elder. So it is the elder who shepherds, it is the elder who pastors, it is the elder who uh, uh, exercises oversight, overseeing, the congregation. And so what God's word teaches us, okay, Christ rules in heaven through his word. His word teaches us that a local church should appoint for themselves elders to lead the congregation, to shepherd the flock and to exercise oversight. Again, elder, pastor, bishop, and overseer, not four different offices. It's one office that exercises these four different functions. And so the elder's job is to shepherd the flock of God, to exercise oversight. Hebrews 13, 17 says, it's the elder's job to keep a watch on your soul and that for this task, we are going to stand before God one day and give an account for how we did that. So the office of an elder comes with an incredible a burden that one day each one of us will stand before God and give an account for the way we shepherded his flock, the way we exercised oversight, the way we, we offered care for your souls. They're also to care for the church of God by teaching you the pure word of God. The elders are also to, Ephesians 4, equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so this is the New Testament model for leadership within the church is that first and foremost, a church should have elders that lead and shepherd and exercise oversight within a local congregation. This is the New Testament model. And again, how does Christ rule his church? He rules his church through his word. His word teaches that a church should have elders that lead. And now how do we identify these elders? Is it just up to us to go around and figure this out? Well, this person has a great personality, and so they ought to be an elder. And, and this person, he's really good with, with uh, money and finances. He should be an elder. And, and this person is really successful, so they ought to be an elder. No, actually, the Word of God teaches us and actually gives us the qualifications 
for who elders should be. And so let's look at that. That's 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. I asked you to open there like an hour ago. Um, 1 Timothy 3. Again, we're trying to cover a lot of ground today. 1 Timothy 3. This saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires the office of overseer. Again, as, as 1 Peter uh, tells us and also Acts chapter 20. The office of overseer is the same as elder. is the same as pastor. It's the same office. He desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be, here are the qualifications, above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with pride and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall, may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil." So there are snares, there are traps that the devil has prepared trying to trip people up. And so therefore an elder is not just anyone, but certain men who meet certain qualifications. And so let's look at these again quickly. Above reproach. Well, that doesn't mean perfect, but that means uh, beyond accusation. Beyond accusation. That the elders live their lives in such a way that is beyond accusation. Again, the husband of one wife, well, what does that mean? I, I think that's pretty obvious. It's a one-woman man, a man who's faithful to his wife. He's not running around on her. He's faithful. He he's, he's not, doesn't have a wandering eye, but he has eyes only for one woman, and that is the, his wife. Sober-minded, that, that means a clear thinker. Someone who's not easily swayed, but, but has a, a clear thinker. He, he's, he, he doesn't follow just every whim and every wind of doctrine, but he thinks through things with, with clear thinking, sober, soberly, self-controlled. He, he, he's able to control his urges, his flesh. He doesn't give in to every temptation that comes his way. Respectable. Hospitable, welcoming, able to teach the Word of God, knows how to handle the Word of God, knows how to bring the Word of God to bear on people's souls as they travel through the, the challenges of this life. Now, there are different ways that, that that is done. Obviously, Sunday morning is one way that the Word of God is taught, but there's also one-on-one, -on -one. there's also small group settings, there's also... Uh, counseling sessions. There's lots of ways that the Word of God is taught, and, and an elder needs to be able to do that. That's the job, to teach the Word of God. Not our own words, not our own thoughts, ideas, or philosophies, but God's Word to help God's people, to shepherd them as they navigate life. Not a drunkard. Aren't you glad I don't get up here half drunk every Sunday? Yes, good. Not violent. He doesn't have a temper. He's not flying off the handle when things don't go right. He doesn't show up on Monday morning and curse the staff out. Gentle when people make mistakes. Not quarrelsome. He's not always picking a fight with everybody. Not a lover of money. Again, money is not the top priority for him and his family. He's there to serve God's people, managing his own household well with all dignity. Not a recent convert. We don't say, welcome to the kingdom of God. Would you like to preach next Sunday? That's not how it goes. You must have an interesting perspective. You were living in sin yesterday. Why don't you get up and tell us about the word of God? No, no. Not, not, not someone who's new to the faith. And again, well thought of by outsiders. This, this means this person has a good reputation beyond the local church community. So these are the qualifications for elders. 
Now, First Timothy, uh, I'm sorry, Titus 1 also teaches us about elders. Titus 1.9 says that he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So again, in Titus, Paul gives a little bit more clarity on the word ministry of those in eldership. And every church should have at least one biblically qualified elder. If there's not a biblically qualified elder slash pastor, remember it's the same function. If there's not at least one in a congregation biblically qualified, I, I truly question whether or not there is an actual church there. Now certainly a church can function for a season if a church has been established and, and that office becomes vacant, uh, certainly a church could function for a season. But a church cannot function uh, for very long, will not, will not accomplish its purpose in the lives of its members if there is not at least one biblically qualified elder pastor there. At Destiny Church, we have right now five elders currently serving. I'll ask our elders to stand. We have Archie Alderson, Armand Bazadua, Matthew Bell, myself, David Fisher, and Terry Cisneros. Let's give our elders a big hand. You guys can be seated. We also have Brother Beatles, Wayne Beatles, who uh, retired from eldership last year but we give him the title, the honorary title of Elder Emeritus. He is still an honorary elder. He was an elder here for 70 plus years at Destiny Church. And so we still honor him as an elder. So this is the elders, the, the primary leadership within the church. We gather on a monthly basis uh, to... Uh, oversee the, the issues of the church, to, to pray for the congregation. Uh, recently, we've added a second meeting where we're gathering uh, just to pray over the membership of the church, meeting twice a month, and we, we watch for your souls. So we'll talk more about uh, how that functions and how that operates in a couple of weeks when we talk about church membership, being a member of the church. Now, there's also within the church a secondary office, Philippians 1, 1, Paul and Timothy writing, they write as servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers, the elders, and the deacons. And so there is a secondary office within the church. It is the deacon's job to assist the elders in their oversight and care for the church, to serve the congregation. The word deacon literally means servant. And so deacons are another group of qualified men who lead within the church, serving the church under the eldership, assisting the eldership. And likewise, if we continue in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 8, Paul gives us the qualifications for the deacons. So let's look at that. Deacons likewise must be dignified. Not double-tongued. That means that they, they, they do what they say. They, they're not telling you one thing and doing another. They're not addicted to much wine. They're not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, conscience and let them also be tested first and then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves to be blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And so again, the qualifications for deacons, let's look at these quickly. Dignified not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain, sound in faith and life, blameless, godly wife, husband of one wife, 
managing the children and household well. Now, you, over the last seven years, probably haven't heard much about deacons. We haven't talked a lot about deacons within the church. Um, but this is something that we are presently adding to and growing and, and raising up uh, new leaders within the church to serve in this capacity as deacons. And so this morning, I'm going to present to you 15 uh, deacons, and I'm presenting them to you by way of consideration, in a few weeks, a couple of weeks from now, we're actually going to pray over these deacons and officially install them. But I'm presenting their names to you as the congregation first and foremost this week. And I'm doing so because, as the scripture says, these are men that need to be tested first. And we have, I've been working with them. I've been working with them personally. And we believe that they have passed the test. But just like we do with elders, if there is any of you who knows any reason why you don't believe any one of these deacons uh, is qualified or should serve in this capacity, we ask the congregation to come and to let us know. And so if you know for some reason that we don't know why certain individuals should not serve as a deacon, it is your job as a congregation member before we lay hands on them and install them to come and to bring this to the consideration of the elders. Now, we have had two deacons who have been serving faithfully as deacons for over 30 years, and that is Dan Gangra and Sil Hiran. Dan and Sil, would you stand this morning? And... We are adding to them today, or actually in a few weeks we'll pray over them, but uh, keep standing as I call your name. Uh, John Avila, Ezra Champion, Robert Gauze, Benjamin Gangra, Benjamin's in Fredericksburg ministering uh, this morning, uh, Josh Gray, Esli Mata, Richard Medina, John Nelson, John Palencia, Eduardo Quintana, Gabriel Rosas, Tony Romo, Troy Summers, and James Vasquez. Amen. Let's give them a hand this morning. All right, you guys can be seated. Again, if there's any reason why uh, that you know of, why any one of these men uh, should not serve as uh, deacons, please come and share that with the eldership. Um, it will be in confidence, but it is an important function that the body um, it's an important job for, for the body to do that. Now, there's a second part to this. That hasn't really been offensive yet, has it? No. I want to finish this sermon today. I really do. Okay, one lady said finish it. She spoke for all of you. There's another requirement that is implied in these two lists of qualifications, but I want to draw it out and make it clear. And that is to serve as an elder or a pastor or a deacon. You must be qualified and you must also be a man. You must be a man. These roles and offices are reserved for qualified men. Why do I say that? Well, let's again, Christ ruling from heaven, let's look at his word. Again, 1 Timothy 3, verse 2, with the office of the elder, the husband of one wife. The husband of one wife is not a woman, that is a man. Again, the deacon Chapter 3, verse 12, the husband of one wife. Now, I know we live in a world where a woman can identify herself as a husband. Not according to God's word. Not according to God's word. And even though our culture has a lot of confusion about gender right now, the Bible is actually incredibly clear. It's not confused at all. 
There's two ideas, uh, even within the church, on this issue. One is complementarianism, which teaches that men and women were designed by God to be different but equal and to complement one another in life and in ministry. That's complementarianism. There's another thought and idea called egalitarianism, even within the church, which teaches that uh, men and, there are no distinctions between men and women in the home and in the church. At Destiny Church, we are and have always been complementarian. This is something that my grandfather taught. This is what my father taught. This is not something new at Destiny Church. We believe that God created men and women equal in his eyes, both image bearers of God, equal in dignity, value, and worth. However, he created them different and very different. Men and women are not the same. Thank you. Amen. That's part of God's design. I watched a video this week, a young man on a college campus, college university, major college university. He was going around and he was saying, can a man be a woman? And they would say, yes, of course. Every one of those college students, of course, of course, of course. There's an indoctrination that has happened over the last 30 years that teaches there is no distinction between men and women. The Bible says God created man in his image, male and female, he created them. And then God declares over his creative order that this is very good. The differences between men and women are very good. Can I get an amen from all the married couples? It is a very good difference. God thinks that there are gender roles and gender rules that should be followed. Our culture does not respect these God-given roles and rules. They teach that gender is fluid that anyone can be a woman and anyone can be a man simply by declaring themselves to be so. And by doing that, you, you recognize that you are setting yourself in, uh, up in authority over God if you do that. If you're a man today, you're a man because God made you a man. The Bible says he knit us together in our mother's womb. If you're a woman today, you're a woman because God made you a woman. He knit you together that way in your mother's womb. And so for a woman to declare, I am a man, or for a man to declare, I am a woman, that is to set themselves up in authority over the choice of God, which of course is the original sin in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve there, and, and the serpent Satan comes, and he says, I know God told you you can't eat of this tree, but don't obey God. Go your own way. Follow your own path. Don't live under his authority. Be an authority unto yourself. The further our culture goes away from God-given gender roles and rules, the further our culture will descend into chaos, utter chaos. Modern gender theory is wrong. How do I know it's wrong? Well, there are many, 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 many reasons. I'll give you a few. Science. At Destiny Church, we believe in science. Biology. I don't care. You can, you, can say you're, if, you can say you're a woman till you're blue in the face. It does not change your biology. You can even go to a, a wicked instrument of the devil, a doctor who would remove organs from your body. It doesn't change your biology. It doesn't change your chromosomes. You may even alter your body but you are still what God created you to be. People today so deceived that they're mutilating their own flesh. It's utter and total deception. The natural law, the natural law shows us clearly that there's a distinction between men and women. If, if, 
if it weren't for the distinction between men and women, the, uh, the species, the human race, could not be perpetrated. The, the human race would cease to exist if we destroyed distinctions between men and women. A man cannot give birth to a baby. A man cannot carry a baby. He has no womb. A man can never be a mother. No matter how much he might want to be. Why? Because this is God's design. What else tells us that modern gender theory is wrong? All of human history tells us this. All of human history. We think that we're so educated, we're so elevated, we're so smart, we're so evolved now that we can look back over the course of all of human history and we as a culture can declare, all of you were so dumb and you got it wrong. It's insane. It's what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery. But you know what? None of that, those reasons I gave you, none of those really matter. The only one that actually does matter is the Word of God. That's the only one. That's the only one that we need. And God's Word clearly tells us that there is male and that there is female. You might say heteronormative gender ideas are oppressive. It's the same lie that Satan used on Eve in the garden. God's oppressing you. Don't follow his law. Listen, you're going to serve somebody. There's only two kingdoms. You're either going to be part of one or the other. It's the kingdom of light or the kingdom of darkness. You either serve God or you serve Satan. There is no in-between. If you're tricked into thinking you're serving yourself, following your own heart, guess what? You're not. You're part of the kingdom of darkness. You're going to serve somebody, either Almighty God or the God of this age. And so the office of the overseer, elder, pastor, is restricted to certain qualified men. Let's go back to 1 Timothy. We were reading 1 Timothy 3. You, you know that when Paul wrote Timothy, he didn't write chapters and verse in there. You know that, right? It was one letter. The chapters and verse were added later. If we go back a couple of verses, the context of what Paul is talking about, let's start in verse 8 of, of 1 Timothy 2. 1 Timothy 2, verse 8. Paul says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. It's God's design that the man, the husband, lead in the spiritual matters in the church and in the home. It's God's design for men, husbands, to lead their homes in spiritual matters. That men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control. Not with braided hair or girl, or, and gold or pearls or costly attire. What Paul just described there was prostitutes. Paul is saying, women, dress modestly. Don't go around parading yourself like a prostitute. Okay? That's what he's saying. How, how, should, how should godly women adorn themselves in the household of God? With modesty. He says, but what with, with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. And what does Paul appeal to? What does he appeal to as he makes this argument? He doesn't appeal to the cultural norms of his day. He actually appeals to God's creative order. 
He says, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor, yet she will be saved. And he's using that word in a word of sanctified, not justified. She will be sanctified through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. And again, it goes right into the qualifications for overseers. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So what am I saying? I'm saying that this is not a cultural reference that Paul is making. This is not something that gets updated as our culture goes this way. We just say, well, that's really kind of, uh, it's kind of taboo to say that today. That doesn't really fit with you know, the modern thinking on these things. So the church better update itself and get with the times or the church is going to be left behind. No, just like on marriage, we affirm the word of God, just like we do on gender roles, we affirm the word of God. It'd be interesting to note that every denomination that has split, Presbyterian, Lutherans, Methodists, Episcopalians, Part of the issue was on the ordination of women into ministry as pastors. And as they split, one side saying we're going to stay with the word of God, others saying no, the word of God has to be updated to keep with the times. Every denomination that has split and gone into theological liberalism has not stopped with the ordination of women, but also the ordination of gay and homosexual pastors every single one of them. Because once you throw this out, once you cast this by the wayside, once you say, no, this is just all cultural, it doesn't apply to us here today in the 21st century. Once you do that, you have nothing left. You have nothing left to stand on. Jesus says, he who hears my words and does them is like a wise man who builds his house upon a rock. And guess what's happened to every single one of those denominations that has split and has gone into theological liberalism? Guess what's happened to them? They shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink. And people leave those churches in droves and thank God and praise God because the word of God is not being faithfully taught because they're not being led by qualified, biblically qualified men under the authority of Jesus Christ. They have set themselves up as the authority over God himself, still trying to call themselves churches. So, the office of the overseer is restricted to certain qualified men. And listen to me carefully. It's not for men as opposed to women, but the office of overseer is for some men who meet the qualifications as opposed to all other men, women, and children. And so I believe with all my heart that there truly is no such thing as a female pastor. There's no such thing. The title female pastor is an oxymoron. It's just like saying there's such thing as a male mother. It doesn't exist. Paul here in, in, in 2 Timothy, or 1 Timothy 2, he says that the primary role for a, a wife and a mother is to raise the children, to focus on the children. And, and again, in, in Titus, I don't have time to go there today, but Titus chapter 2, it talks about um, that the, there is a ministry role for women within the church and it is very important and vital and that is for the older women to instruct and to teach the younger women and to raise them up in the godly uh, fear and admonition of the Lord. And so there, there is a, a, a place for women to teach within the church. It's just that they may not exercise authority over men. This is God's design. There are certain jobs for men to do. There are certain jobs for women to do. If Heather and, Heather and myself are, are asleep in bed one night and we hear a big crash in the living room, 
and I hear the sound of someone breaking into the house. We both are startled and we wake up in the night. And I look over at Heather and I go, aren't you going to go do something about it? <laughs> it's, it's absurd. It's ridiculous. Right? She looks at me and I look at her and say, you go take care of it. It's insane. We, we, we obviously see that there's gender roles. We obviously see that in, those, in that scenario, it should be the man, the husband, who stands up, gets his baseball bat, gets his shotgun, and runs out and stands between harm's way, protecting the life of his wife and his kids. Right. There's no question about that. Amen. And it is the same within the church. It is godly, qualified men who stand up and say, I will run out and charge the devil. I will take on what is dangerous. I will stand between him and you. And we will take the shots and we will protect those under our care. It is the same thing. It's not that women are incapable. It's not that it is beyond their ability. It's that God has designed men in such a way as to carry the extra burden of leading in the church and the home. There is an extra burden assigned to pastoral ministry, and God has designed men in such a way as to carry that burden. Now, you might be saying, well, what about this, and what about that, and what about this, and what about this situation in that scenario? Listen, if I got into all of the whatabouts, we'd be here all day. And I know it's a holiday weekend, and, uh, but nevertheless, I don't know about every extenuating circumstance. Nevertheless, Paul says, 1 Timothy 3 I'm writing to you so that you would know how one ought to conduct himself in the church of God, the household of faith. I don't know about every extenuating circumstance, but this is how a church ought to function. And again, the issue is one of authority. Authority. And with wielding authority comes a lot of responsibility comes a big burden. And God has called certain men, not all men, certain men, qualified them to carry the burden of caring for your souls. Like I said, I have friends in ministry that don't see eye to eye with me on this. I, they're wrong. And I tell them they're wrong. And we're still friends. We're still friends. They have to have a lot of patience to be my friend, let me tell you. Um, and, and the issue is truly, is it, is it the culture that sits, that sits in judgment over the word of God? Is it the culture that dictates what the word of God ought to be? Or does Christ, as King of kings and Lord of lords, does he sit on his throne and judge culture? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. And within his church, we are to live and function as Christ has called us to live and function. And that's it. Amen. Thank you for the extra time today. Um, again, I want to remind you of what I said at the beginning. This is a secondary issue. This is not the primary issue. This is not central to Christianity. But this is what we see and believe from the Word of God. And this is how we live it out and practice it at Destiny Church. Now, when we pray over and install the deacons, we are going to have their wives come forward with them. Because the Bible teaches that when we're married, we are one flesh. 
And, and we're not discounting the role of the elder's wife and the role that the deacon's wife will play. They will be in ministry too. There's no doubt about it. But it is the, the husband who is the elder and it is the husband who is the deacon. But we will pray over both of them as both of them will serve together in ministry. And again, this is a, a secondary issue. It's not primary and it's not central. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is good. Lord, even though it may be in conflict with our cultural norms, you sit in judgment over the culture. We do not change or update your word because your word is perfect, because you are perfect, and you do not change. So Lord, help us. Lord, if there's anything that I've said today that is fleshly, and offensive in my flesh, I pray that, Lord, first and foremost, you would forgive me for saying it. Lord, that you would remove it from uh, the, 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 these precious people's ears. Let it not lodge in their soul. Lord, if there's anything today that was offensive because it was from your word, I pray that your spirit would bring conviction and bring clarity to these issues. We thank you, Lord, for your leading us Lord, as we endeavor to follow your word and to put it into practice, you are the perfect leader and we follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.